And so today what we're going to be looking at, it's basically a time to, to focus on joy, uh, the joy of Christmas, the joy of Jesus. And so, I mean, when I was thinking about that, when focusing on joy, who doesn't want more joy in their life? I know that I, I would like to have more joy in my life. I think we all want more joy in our life, just to be joyful. And so there's a lot of things that bring us joy uh, in life, but they can go up and down. I mean, we all experience some degree of joy about certain things. Like I know that, um, you know, it was really joyful to be able to have children when we're, you know, we had young children. And again, some of these things go up and down. You have a kid, you're just so excited. And, and then they become teenagers. And you're like, okay, what happened to my cute little kid? You buy a house. Uh, and then you realize that there's always things to fix at your house all the time. Like it's never, it really is never ending. Uh, you get married. Weddings are great. And then you realize that you need to change a lot. That's never ending. You're like, when do I actually become this thing called an adult? <laughs> In my relationship with my wife, you know, you're like, do I ever reach that pinnacle of expectation called an adult? So when we look at the Old Testament, again, there's this idea that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so we see that saying throughout the Old Testament on a regular basis. And in one place we see that is in uh, Nehemiah. Uh, 8.10, and it says this, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is a holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So this idea that the joy of the Lord is our strength, our joy is in the Lord, when we think about what it is that we want to center our joy on or what brings us joy, uh, the joy of the Lord is our strength, that we rejoice in that. And that our joy, even though it can come from circumstances, is ultimately not going to be in our circumstances. That circumstances, sometimes you get certain good circumstances and sometimes you get bad. Uh, it's not in our possessions because, uh, you know, you get something and you love it and then it starts to fade. I mean, at this point in time, like, does anyone even have like an iPhone 3 anymore, right? At some point, you're like, this is the best thing ever. And now it's obsolete, right? Or, you know, I don't, you don't have to raise your hand if you have a flip phone. Um, and it's not in success, you know, because here's the thing, is your joy in success, and, and success comes and goes. Sometimes you're succeeding, and things are going really well, and, you know, when you start to put all of your eggs in that basket, and you're like, yes, I'm doing so well, the reality ends up being that if you're just a normal person, that you do well, and then there's times when you're not doing so well. And there's times when you're experiencing failure, and, and that's not necessarily bad. And so uh, what is our joy in? In that the, our joy is in the Christ child. It's, it's in Jesus. The joy of the Lord is our strength that's unchanging. He's unchanging. Last week, we read about Simeon and Anna. There were two folks who hung out in the temple, and they were waiting to see Jesus. And then at one point in time, uh, they, they saw him, and they were so joyful. Anna was there in the temple for seemingly like 70-plus years, and she got to see Jesus. And her joy just bubbled up. And same with Simeon. I mean, these guys got to see Jesus. 
And so this idea that the joy of the Lord is, is our strength, that we focus on Him, that it's in Him, these ups and downs of life, these ups and downs of success and failure, these ups and downs of possessions, ups and downs of all these things, He's unchanging, unwavering. He doesn't change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever, that we can put our hope and our joy in Him, and it doesn't change. But if you're anything like, you know, myself, Christmas is a funny season that is beautiful in many ways. And at the same time, each of us is wrestling with some issue. Each one of us, including myself. Christmas is beautiful. We have all these beautiful right, plants and Christmas trees and family's going to get together and Jesus is born. And at the same time, you know, we're all wrestling with some type of issue in our life. But we have to remember, but the joy of the Lord is our strength, that this is going on in my life, but Jesus is in my life. So when we think about like suffering or whatever suffering you might be going through, we can't actually say, but Jesus is in my life that we have fears about the future, things that are going on in our lives, but we can say, but Jesus is in my life. We have doubts that we're wrestling through, like, what's going to happen here? How is this all going to work out? What is the next step? But Jesus is in our life. And so oftentimes, life doesn't make sense, but we have Christ in our life, and the joy of the Lord is is our strength. And so when you look through the Old Testament, you look through Scripture, you see people, they're wrestling with all these types of things, but they center their lives on Christ, that He's the one, He's the thing that they center on. And so uh, one, one person that is a good example of this is the prophet Isaiah. He uh, is the author of the book Isaiah, and he's one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. And he knew frustration, he had difficulties, but the thing that he focuses on ultimately is the Messiah. And so we're going to read a portion of his text, uh, Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on the way, on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. 
So when we read this, like, you know, beautiful text, Isaiah is painting this picture that's filled with but the Lord. You know, all these things are difficult, but the Lord, the barren wilderness will blossom. The mute will shout for joy. Salvation comes to the fearful. Uh, The disabled are healed. No lions or any type of beast, only the redeemed will walk there. Uh, And so what we see is this beautiful picture in that, but the Lord, but the joy of the Lord, but Jesus, but because of Jesus, that all of these things that seem so scary and difficult, that we get to be in this beautiful place with him. So when we think about that, we're like, okay, Lord, what's the holdup? Why are we waiting for all of this to take place? Like, can't we actually be there and just like, what, what is, what's the wait? What's the holdup? Like, let's go ahead and, and, and do this. But the reality is, is that we're not there yet. And so what we do is we're in a place where we're waiting. And we have to wait. Because we're not there yet. We're in Christ. We've accepted Christ as our Savior. We're born again. But we wait for Jesus' return. We have to wait for Him. We're waiting for the second coming. And so we're in between these two things and that Christ has come and yet Christ is going to come again. And so we're in between this time right here. And so we have to wait. And it's difficult to wait. I don't know many people, they are like, hey, what's your gifting? You're like, I'm really gifted at waiting. Like, that's my, my strength. My spiritual gift is waiting. I don't, and as Americans, I don't think that is any, yeah, we're just, I don't think we're good at, at waiting. But what you're willing to wait for says a, a lot about who you are. It says a lot about your values. What are you willing to wait for? What, are the, what is the thing or the things that you're willing to wait for? It says a lot about who you are, your character, about your values. If I talk to you about what it is that you're waiting for, then it really will reveal what it is that is important for you. So I don't know. All right, and here's sometimes I don't ask everyone to raise their hand when I ask a question, but right now is going to be the moment, all right? So like prepare yourself to be truthful, okay? How many of you, I'll raise my hand because I did this. How many of you snuck to see what your presents were before Christmas Day? That's right. Truthful people, all right. I see some disappointed looks from children at their father right now. I remember, I do remember, I remember, um, we were living in Tahoe, and we did. I forget when it was. We were sneaking, and we, yeah, we looked at all of our presents. But you cannot put the wrapping paper back like your mom made it. There's just no way. There's just some type of, like, spiritual giftings that mom have to, like, just wrap it perfectly. So you're looking in there, and you're trying to, like, you know, get, you know, see what's in there, and then you try and put it all back. There's, it's impossible. It's just, it's a, it's a mom gift. And I, and I don't, and the funny thing is about us looking at our gifts when we were younger, I'm fairly certain that my brother actually got in trouble, but I didn't, but we both looked at the gifts. He got in trouble, but I don't think I tried to save him and say like, yeah, I I did that as well. Um, But, you know, what are we willing to wait for? We all want to see what it is that we're getting, or most of us, or the truthful people in here that raise their hand. We all want to see what it is that we're getting, and we don't want to wait, and we don't want to wait until December 25th. We want what we want when we want it. 
But we're in this place of, of waiting. And God does important work when we're waiting. And I think that most of us feel, uh, and I, I assume that you're like me, that I want to learn all my lessons through success. Right? Like, God, I want to learn that deep and valuable lesson through success. That's how I want to learn it. I don't want to learn it through failure, and I don't want to learn it through waiting. But God does these important work when we're waiting for things. And so when we're in between, you know, Christ coming and then Christ coming again, there's this important work that God's doing in our lives theologically, helping us to mature, helping us to grow, when otherwise we would just shortcut that because we just don't want to deal with it. We just want success, and we want what we want. We want to sneak our presence, and then we want everyone to be happy about that and get our presence at the same time. So Paul, and we read this scripture earlier, he says this in Romans 8, 20 through 25. All around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pains. But it's not only around us, it's also within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pains. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. The waiting doesn't diminish us. It actually grows us. It grows our expectation that the Holy Spirit, that God is growing within in us this expectation uh, that we see him as he ought to be seen, that we, we rejoice in him as we ought to, that we see the kingdom of God around us. And so we watch at the same time and we look out at creation and we see you know, the sin and the death and decay and we also see the injustices that are happening in the world. Last week I talked about this idea that we all... We all want to see justice, and we all know what injustice looks like. And so we see that around us. Yet at the same time, we get these glimpses of the kingdom of God. In the midst of all the decay and the sin and, and things that are going on, we also see these glimpses of the kingdom of God. Um, this last, I think it was this last week, oh, it was last Sunday night, we had dinner at our house, and so um, Sienna was in town. And so Sienna really likes good food. So we went to Costco and I got uh, all these clams. And then I forget what else I got. Um, uh, clams and shrimp. And so we had so much. I'm like, hey, man, we need to invite our neighbor over. So I send Jonathan across the street and we go get our neighbor, Ellen. And we're like, hey, you want to come over and eat, eat dinner with us? And so she came over, and, and we just had all this food. And, and there's just something, at least to me, maybe it's with growing up Italian, that food communicates love. Anyone else feel like that? Like food is love? I think it is. God loves us, and so he gives us all of this awesome food to eat. So we had this, all this beautiful pasta, you know, with this nice sauce and clams and shrimp. And we all just hung out and ate, ate this feast together and it was beautiful and Ellen is not a my neighbor is not a believer in Christ and and so having her there and 
you know, praying before the meal and talking about what's going on in our lives. To me, it was just this wonderful representation of the kingdom of God. There was just something about that, that here we are as a family and we're inviting her into this family and she's spending time with us. And it's beautiful. We see glimpses of the kingdom of God. You see glimpses of the kingdom of God just breaking through in your life to where you see it and you're like, I see that. That's the kingdom of God. I see that amidst all this other stuff that is, is going on. And so we see these glimpses and yet we wait for the fullness of the kingdom of God. So one of the things to ask, or at least I'm asking, is what is it that you're waiting for in this season? What are you waiting for? What do you have expectation for? What is it that you're longing for? Because we're waiting. We're waiting for Him. So this idea that the joy of the Lord is our strength, um, what does it look like to cultivate joy? How do we, how do we cultivate uh, joy in our lives? Because we want to cultivate it, we can cultivate it. And so what are the things that we, we can do to cultivate joy in our life? Because I, I, if you're anything like me, oftentimes it's a very easy to focus on the negative and to focus on how things aren't working out and to focus on what I wish was happening uh, versus you know, cultivating this joy. And so Paul, Paul says this in Thessalonians Rejoice always. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 24. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So this idea of cultivating joy, this is something that we can do um, when you work out and you start building your muscles up, you, you're, right, you're building up your muscles. So how is it that we cultivate joy? And, and he kind of lays out this framework of how do we cultivate joy? Rejoice always. And none of this is maybe like super easy. <laughs> You're like, how often? Always. It's going to be tough. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. On the one hand, that's all pretty, seems pretty simple. But on the other hand, that's really tough. Giving thanks in all circumstances. That's a tough one. For being honest, that can be tough. So he doesn't say... Once you feel like it, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstance. When everything goes your way, you're supposed to do all of these things. When you get what you want, you're supposed to rejoice. Again, because this idea that, you know, like I had said, we, most of us want the growth to come in our life through things that are good, through our successes. When everything goes our way, okay, Lord, I learned that lesson. But oftentimes it's in the waiting, it's in the difficult places of our life that God does this deep work that he wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And so in the midst of that, can we rejoice? In the midst of that, can I keep an open dialogue with him and say, Lord, I know that you're with me. In the midst of that, 
you know, can I give thanks in all circumstances? So on the one hand, it's easy to be, you know, like just legalistically, like, yes, this is what I'm supposed to do. But if we're being honest with him, which is, I think, is one of the things that he wants most from us, is that that can be hard. And in spite of this, Lord, I'm going to give thanks. And in spite of this, Lord, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to rejoice in the midst of this. So Paul cultivates joy by rejoicing always, giving thanks in all circumstances, and by praying uh, continuously. But if the joy of the Lord, if our joy is in the Lord, then you can then you can have joy regardless of your circumstances. Um, I brought this up several times. I when I was living down in Santa Cruz, um, my friend there was this little tiny boutique theater down there, and my friend and I were like, hey, let's go to the movies. And so we went to the movies and we saw this of gods and men, and, and we had no idea what it what it was. And so we went to the movie theater and we watched this movie. And by the end of the movie, I'm just like sobbing. How many, how many folks have seen this? Okay, so um, I mean, I was just bawling by the end. I had no idea. I mean, it was a spiritual experience for me. And so Of Gods and Men um, is a story based on the book called The Monks of Tiberin. And so what it basically outlines is there was a, um, a monastery in Algeria. And so they, they had started this monastery a long, long time ago. And uh, the monastery, essentially, uh, the way that I, when I read the book, the monastery is meant to be this kind of outpost for faith, meaning that people who are believers go there and they, they represent Christ, they worship and they pray. It's all men, they're all single. And so they worship and they pray, but then they, they cultivate the land. And so they create this space to where they do agriculture and, and all these beautiful things. And then they use those resources to then serve the community. And then the community uh, gets to experience a portion of the kingdom of God through the work and through the lives of these men. And so that's what monasteries, or at least this one, was set up to do. And so what ends up happening is, is that in Algeria, there was like a government change. And so then all the folks, uh, this is Brother Christian from the movie, and they would sell their honey and their goods at the marketplace and just bless the locals. So in the midst of all of this, there was a government change, and the government said, well, hey, you need to, you need to leave Algeria now, and everyone needs to take off, so we're giving you a moment because you're French citizens that you guys need to take off. And so these guys were stuck with this dilemma. Well, what do we do? We can leave if we want to, but our friends, our brothers, and our sisters can't leave. And does, did Christ leave? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do in the midst of when people you know, were challenging him? Did he just say, like, well, I'm going to go back to heaven and forget all you people and you know, my death on the cross it doesn't need to happen? No, he, he ended up staying. And so there was this scene in, in the movie. So they, they go through great turmoil trying to figure out what to do. And they're crying and, you know, they're praying and, you know, people are freaking out as you would because the, the ultimatum is if they stay, more than likely they're going to die. And you see in the movie uh, and even in the book that the government forces keep telling them, like, you need to leave, you need to leave. And they're like, you know, and in the end they choose to stay. So there's this dinner scene, and this is where I started crying in the movie. There's a dinner scene to where they cook up all the 
food, that, not all the food that they have, but they, they make a very rich dinner. Whereas maybe dinners in other dinner times are not so nice. They make a really nice dinner. And they crack open this bottle of wine and they're listening to some German composer. I think it might be Brahms. And it just, they all are just eating and drinking together. And they're just celebrating. And they're rejoicing. And they're having this beautiful dinner inside the monastery while on the outside, everything is crushing in on them. And they all know, um, spoiler alert, that they're all going to um, pass away. And so then ultimately they end up getting captured by the Algerian, you know, not government, but whoever was in there. And that all, all but one of them, there was one guy that hid out in his room and didn't get killed. And so this idea that they're having this dinner in the midst of everything crushing in on them, it was one of the most beautiful, to me, I didn't see it as like this feast. I saw it as this exaggerated communion. That's what I saw it as, is like they're just having communion. You know, the wine represents his blood and, and the bread that's on the table. Um, I mean, in many ways, biblically speaking, this is not how they would have done communion in the past. Communion would have been part of a larger dinner. Um, and so they have this feast and everything's coming in on them and yet they're just hugging and celebrating and listening to this beautiful music even though they know that they're all more than likely going to die. And they did. Yes, thanks for ruining the movie. Sorry. Yeah. But they chose to stay. Every single one of these men could have left. They were all offered the opportunity to leave, every single one of them. But because of what Christ had done in their life, for the sake of Christ, for, for the sake of their witness in front of the men and the women that that monastery had been serving for decades, they chose to stay, that their death would communicate something about Christ that would be vastly more important than their living. We don't oftentimes get to see martyrs or have uh, stories of martyrs come our way. Although there are still martyrs all around the world today. But they chose to stay. And I don't think that they were sad. So can we rejoice in the Lord always? We can. Is it hard? Yes, it is. Uh, can we pray continually? Yes. Is it difficult? Yeah, absolutely. Um, can we give thanks in all circumstances? We can. Is it difficult? It absolutely is. This is all like mature adult level believer stuff. It all sounds cool and like, you know, your Christmas ornaments all give thanks in all circumstances. You're like, that's so cute. When it really comes down to brass tacks and you actually have to give thanks in circumstances that suck, that's tough. But there's something in the midst of that type of practice that changes our soul to where there's some type of worship that happens in the midst of that, that that's good. And that the joy of the Lord is our strength in all circumstances. 
And when we cultivate joy, when we cultivate rejoicing, when we cultivate giving thanks and praying to Him, the more you use these things, the more you will see the things that we can give thanks about. The more you practice rejoicing, the more you will see things to rejoice about. So how are you cultivating joy? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. He is our strength. He's the thing that we anchor to. I've tried to anchor my life to all sorts of things. <laughs> I think I still do. And it's tough. <laughs> Getting you know beat up all over the place. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And what are you waiting for in this season of Christmas? And how are you cultivating joy? We are going to take communion. We do this every Sunday. Jesus set up communion as being the sign of the covenant between us, meaning that this represents the promise, the contract, the covenant uh, between us that the kingdom is real, that he's real, that salvation is real, and that on the last day, the supper, the last supper, that he took a loaf of bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And that Jesus came down with a whole body, a complete body, a body without sin, and he allowed that body to be broken for our bodies, which have sin, our broken bodies. And that when we partake in being in Christ, that our bodies are no longer broken, but we're in Christ, that we're now the righteousness of God because of Christ. And that the wine represents his blood, which was poured out for us, poured out for our sins. That The Bible says that if we're washed in the blood of the lamb, that he sees us as being sinless. Again, he no longer sees us as being Sean the sinner, but he sees me as Sean in Christ a blameless person because of what Jesus has done, that I've been born again, that I am a new creation, that you are a new creation, and that if we're in Christ, then that's what he sees as the righteousness of Christ in us. It's a pretty good deal. just want you to know that. So the way that we do it, uh, do communion, is if you are a believer in Christ or if you would like to start following Jesus today, you just come down the center aisle. You grab a piece of the cracker, you dip it into the wine, and then you take that back to your seat on the outside so people come down like this, and then we'll all hold on to the elements together, and then we'll all partake together. So if you would like to have communion, please come on down.
Jesus, thank you for being born, for living the life that you lived, for taking our death and taking our sin that we can have your life, that we can enjoy being new creations, that the promise of the new earth and the new heavens is ours. Help us to know how loved we are by you, that who we are in you, who we're becoming in you. Help us to not lose sight of that, Lord. Let's partake. we stand. I'm going to pray a prayer blessing over us. Um, if you did want prayer for anything, I'd love to have you come up here and we'd lay hands on you and pray for you. Anything in your life that you feel like maybe you can't get traction on emotionally, spiritually, uh, whatever it is, we'd love to lay hands on you and pray for you. It's something we see in the Bible over and over, that they lay hands on people and God does something powerful in all of that. So if you wanted a prayer for that, you can uh, for something, please come on forward. Um, Lord, we, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you love us unconditionally, that there's nothing we can do to make you love us more or less. You just love us. God, would you help us to see that? Would you help us to experience your love and your grace, uh, that in the midst of success you don't love us more, in the midst of failure that you haven't left us? Would you help us to grow in the waiting? to help us to rejoice more often, to give thanks more often, and to speak to you more often. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill us up, that you would guide us, that you would open our eyes to see you more often all around us, and to be able to also see those people that need to be touched by you, and that our smile or invitation might be a huge blessing to, and that they too could experience the kingdom of God. So we thank you. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you want a prayer for anything, please come on up.